having a beer after a hard day's work once meant putting up with a six o'clock swill. The swill is not only unpleasant, it's also dangerous. Those who like beer, and surprisingly it's still legal to like it. South Australia joins all other states in abandoning the six o'clock swill. Welcome to the Six O'Clock Swiddle with two Australian living treasures and a bloke with a pommy accent from Sydney. Uh, joining us, of course, is blogger to the nation, Tim Blair, and wordsmith to the planet, Kel Richards. Welcome to you both. Kel, uh, how's your week been? I'll tell you what we've been, what's been occupying our time. It's got nothing to do with politics or the state of society. We do a lot of babysitting, a two-year-old and a four-year-old, and the four-year-old boy is being toilet trained, and he's nearly got there, (laughs) but he was having problems with his pooing and occasional accidents. You're babysitting Joe Biden? (laughs) So his mother came up with the idea of, every time you do a poo in the toilet, you get $5. He is now the richest four-year-old in Sydney. He knew what to do. He just wanted the, He just wanted to make money out of this. There might be a job for you in the White House, Cole. <laughs> Joe, every time you do a press conference without stumbling, we've got $5 for you. Oh, right, I'll try. George Soros apparently made his first million that way, Cal, so you'll be careful. <laughs> <laughs> He's still up to it. <laughs> Tell, do you do the shopping in your household? Is that your task? Are you at the uh, we supermarket? We do it together. We shop together. Okay. The difference is my wife knows what the value of everything is and the price of everything is, and I push the trolley. So. Yes. You're a pusher. I've read that graffiti. <laughs> yes. uh, I do the shopping in my sort of like post-war oh, yes. Europe. It's like, will I be able to afford something in the exclusive vegetable section? <laughs> like potatoes, for instance. <laughs> exactly. You see Will these, there be you know, any broccolini this week? Oh, broccolini. You, well, someone's living great. But yeah, I, I just wait till the broccolini and uh, those other fancy vegetables have, have run out and just take the boxes home and suck the cardboard. That's about where I'm at at the moment financially. Mm. I got very excited when the Brussels sprouts came down in price. When I couldn't afford my Brussels sprouts, I was very upset. They're mainly a Christmas staple, aren't they, Kel? Why are they associated with Christmas? No, that's that's an English tradition. Uh, They're a winter staple, and so they're our vegetables now. Yeah. I don't understand these people who don't like Brussels sprouts. They're wonderful. Like, you're not talking about eating them, though, aren't you? (laughs) They make great aggregate in concrete. I understand. There's a lovely old English musical song about Russell shouts for Brussels sprouts and little brother leaks. <laughs> they remind me of long English winters and my childhood, Cal. I couldn't touch the things ever again. Uh, <laughs> serious matters to politics. Like I think if we're expecting a credible response to inflation, Brussels sprouts Ooh. included, rising mortgage rates or soaring power prices, or anything else indeed that's driving people anxious around the kitchen table. We're not going to get them from Anthony Albanese. He's now, I think, determined to devote his entire first term to rubbishing his predecessor, a strategy I think he's picked up from his mate Joe Biden. Uh, And whether it'll have any success, I don't know. He doesn't want the 2025 election to be a referendum on his government's performance, which no doubt will be lacking in quality. He wants it to be our second chance to go in and punish Scott Morrison. Do you think he'll get away with it? It's an interesting strategy, given how unsuccessful it's been for Joe Biden. Running in 2025 on the I'm not Scott Morrison ticket is a bit of a reach, especially because (laughs) just perhaps 
Scott Morrison might, might even be in Parliament by that point. So you'd be it, running against a ghost. What do you it, think, Kel? It, it will never work as well in the Westminster system, which is a committee system, mm-hmm. as it works in a presidential system. I mean, the man is, at the moment, on the backbench and irrelevant. Even if old mistakes were embarrassing, he's still on the backbench and irrelevant. And you're right, mm. Tim, he's probably gone by the next election. Yeah. And it's not a presidential system. If they keep calling it the Morrison government, as far as Australians are concerned, is that really boring? That's rash- wrapping up the fish and chips now. Finished yeah. with that. Done with that. Absolutely. So I, I can't see it. Nick, working. It's not working well for Biden, as Tim says, but I can't see it working here at all. Besides, what's he? What's the gravity of what he's been accused of doing? Secretly signing himself up for a bit of extra work because he wasn't busy enough by taking on the job of other ministers. And the only decision he made backfired. It was a political decision, presumably, to stop a gas drilling near some seats that might fall. It backfired completely because the seats did fall. So. I'm not quite... I mean, I think once we get to the full story of this COVID crisis management comes out, this will be a mere footnote in the story of an omnishambolic pan-governmental technocratic mega-bungle of this uh, That's easy for you to say, Nick. um, (laughs) It wasn't, as you see, I fumbled my words. But anyway, (laughs) go on. Well, when you enter your 18th syllable by the third word, it's always going to be a bit tough. (laughs) The thing I can't figure out is while Morrison was co-opting all these ministries and treating himself with more individual power, he was giving power away to the state premiers, giving enormous federal powers away to the state premiers. What strategy was existing? What was this about? And I actually, I believe him when he says that he didn't remember at first, oh, there was that extra couple... Of ministries. Oh, yeah, the treasure. Damn. You know how you forget when you, uh, <laughs> when you're, you're just what? chatting to the Governor General and all of a sudden you find out you've accidentally become a second treasurer. You put yeah. yourself in charge of a trillion dollar GDP yeah. economy. But I know? believe him when he says he doesn't remember because whenever he had a spare five minutes, it was over to Yarralumala and grab another ministry just for the help yes. of him. Not that he did any work. Five of them. Five of yes. them over 14 months. It wasn't as though he rushed in in a mad panic and said, sign me up for these now, quickly. <laughs> this one. Oh, back. I've got another one. Oh, have another no. one, please. Oh, one more, please. And even when he knocked off for the afternoon, there was no respite. He was uh, apparently sharing the lodge with Josh Frydenberg at the time, and the two of them would... Take turns to put the lasagna in the microwave, or no, spaghetti bolognese. Was it spaghetti, spaghetti bolognese? bolognese? We were told. Yes, yes. Sorry, okay. De- details matter in journalism. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> and tragically, all throughout that time when they were sharing the residence, Josh thought he was the only treasurer in the place. <laughs> it's a very unusual but circumstance. I'm the it? only treasurer in the village. <laughs> Isn't it possible that that by the time the next election, some of the truth about Andrews will have actually come out? And we'll know what a real dictator looks like. Yes. And people will say, Morrison hasn't got a clue how to run the whole show. Andrews, he's the authoritarian. He can show you how to do it. I I think that's right. But it's amazing, isn't it, how quickly, once you take all the checks, start removing some of the checks and balances from our government, checks and balances like, for instance, the party room or cabinet or parliament or or the press or anything like that and the mischief they get up to they just can't be trusted which is i think why whoever set up our civic society had a a civic system had a very good nose for this by putting all these blockages in the way absolutely and uh, but yeah just to just your initial point about running on the not being scott morrison that makes albanese and his government very vulnerable in areas that they haven't yet discovered it's um it's fraught with problems that little path well, as you say, it's not working too well in the US, is it? Matt Kell, yeah. come in. 
Can I just offer my private theory, and I'm happy to be proved wrong, but I don't think I will be. The person leading the Labor Party at the next election will be Tanya Plibersek, because once all the prices have shot up, once the cost of living is out of control, once we are having regular blackouts because we're having no power coming through the place, when it gets to be that big a mess, they'll have to knife Albanese in the back, the way they did with Rudd, in order to show it was his fault. See, we fixed the problem. We got rid of him. Uh, and I think Tanya's yeah. setting herself up for that. She'll be, they'll be looking for the I feel your pain candidate, won't they? And she can do that very yes. well, I think. Yes. Yeah. yes. When you're fixing a problem with Tanya Plibersek, do you see the issue there, Tom? <laughs> <laughs> do you see how serious yeah, that is? Yeah. She's not the first politician you think of when the idea of reining in the cost of living is uppermost in your mind. You don't think, here's austerity Tanya. Mm. No, mm. no, exactly the opposite. So the options kind of run out after that. Yes. Anyway, they're ploughing on in their own labour way in energy. They want us all now, because we're not buying enough electric cars, naughty us, they're going to start mm-hmm. raising taxes and putting emissions controls on to make us buy them. What do you reckon? Of t- this is supported, of course, by Kylia Tink and the other entirely independent teals who this week put out a joint statement. <laughs> they always do. As we pointed out last week, Tim, that the fact that they all agree means they cannot yes. be a party. A party. Yes, that's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Wait till they appoint a whip. <laughs> <laughs> An independent whip. Uh, I might take that job. <laughs> Kalia Tink has uh, declared that We must have more electric vehicles on our roads. Australia needs to take serious action with things like emission controls and fuel efficiencies and so on, all these different ways to warp the market and get us out of normal vehicles. And she said, this is a direct quote from Kylie Tink, we must keep pace with the pace set by the Europeans. Well, okay, let's (laughs) keep pace with the Europeans. Let's see how that's going. Well, in the Baltic nations, part of Europe... We've got a situation currently where I think, by one estimate, a 10-minute hot shower in the Baltic countries will cost you $25 just in electricity. That's a pretty big cost for someone down in Estonia. And uh, this week it came to light, someone, a chap who runs, an an Italian guy runs an ice cream company in the north of Italy, a place called Carpi, near near Marinello. That's where Kel gets all of his Ferraris from. He... (laughs) He showed his power bills from last year and this year for the same time period. Last year, 1,300 euros, about two grand Australian. This year, same time frame, it went up to nearly seven and a half thousand dollars in Australian dollars. So from two grand last year to seven and a half grand. And I've shown this clip to a few people and they go, my God, seven and a half grand. And being Australian, they assume it's a quarterly power bill. Mm. Oh, no. It's for the month of July. Should we listen and hear the pain on his voice, Jim? Absolutely. Here's a guy from, like I said, north of Italy, up near Marinello Way, just explaining the anguish of getting a bill for 7500 bucks for one month of juice. Yikes. L'anno scorso, stesso periodo, 1370 euro. E già l'anno scorso era aumentato il prezzo dell'energia elettrica. Sono andato a vedere i consumi totali in kilowattore. Io ho fatto nel 2021 7.677 kilowattore in un mese, ok? 
e quest'anno ne ho fatti 7.451, quindi 200 in meno. Ho consumato 200 kWh in meno e ho speso il triplo. Il triplo! Oh! L'anno scorso, sì. quindi, date alla mano... After electricity prices soared to the highest on the continent. Power for delivery from 6pm to 7pm on Wednesday in Estonia, Latvia and Lithuania climbed as high as 4,000 euros a megawatt hour. The upper limit allowed at auction. <laughs> I know, he's almost crying here. As natural gas costs continued to surge. Baltic prices topped those elsewhere in Europe as demand ran ahead of available supply. Now, you might think, at a pinch, You could get by candles. Replace your electric lights with candles. Like we did in the old days when there were power outages. Everyone knew where the candles were. But let me continue reading this article. As costs bite, Lithuanian grocery chain Norfa said it plans to dim the lights at its stores and turn off ventilation and air conditioning from 6pm. And Estonia's Hansa Candle, the largest candle maker in Scandinavia and the Baltics, <laughs> will halt operations. <laughs> you can't get candles. There's not even enough power to make candles. You are screwed, man. I've been struck What by inspiration here. I'm going to rush out and make that first million, which I meant to make 50 years ago, by starting a company that makes generators. That's where the market is going to be. It's going to be oh, a don't market make, for don't, I'll be a customer, man. Yeah. Don't worry about that. There's a lot of people buying generators right now. A lot of yeah. people, and I'm in line. Get a diesel generator, put it on a porch or something like that, and let the good times roll. Well, you get enough of them happening in the street at the same time, and you'll sound like an African village. <laughs> Meanwhile, on the other side of the Pyrenees, the Spanish have now yes. passed a law saying you cannot turn on your air conditioner if temperatures are lower than 27 degrees centigrade and uh, i think there's a lower limit you can't reduce it to 16 below 16 centigrade 16 so, or 18 something like so that so yeah. you can forget the cerveza fria it won't be happening no cold beer it'll be cerveza caliente from now on <laughs> like the, they'll be taking up the bit the warm beer from the palms habit surely i don't know spain is looking like a less attractive tourist option by the day i think as is much in europe like <laughs> This is what's happening. We've got a situation now where you'll go broke selling ice cream to Italians and in Spain your siestas are interrupted by being having crappy indoor temperatures. What happens to refrigeration? Yeah. What happens oh, to look, those great ham bars they have and such? Mm, it, mm. It, it, people will end up feeling really, really desperate. You'll discover mm. at the next running of the bulls, they stop running and they just <laughs> let the bulls go over them because people will be so depressed. Either that, Kel, or they'll be like, sorry, you're over the limit there. Those bulls are going more than 25 kilometres per hour. They'll have limits and everything. What happened, Nick? You're familiar with Europe having 
spent part of the early part of your life in that blighted zone. Yes. What happens in Europe when there's sort of a continent-wide depression and <laughs> things get a bit tense? What's generally the outcome? Well, they, 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 generally, you're, you're talking about the annual period between, say, October and May, are you? That is a general period of depression. <laughs> no, no, most I, I'm of actually talking Europe, more. You know. I'm talking more about the period between 1939 <laughs> and 1945. You do you, mate. Go for it. It was a real. It wasn't a special downer that period. It was. I must have been, <laughs> it was a real bummer, as the kids say. <laughs> But things are not going well. But this whole idea of adopting electric cars. So what do you think of the idea that we're going back to the old way where we weren't allowed to choose our cars ourselves, that the government developed and chose the car for us and it dictated the car we would all drive. They tried this. They had a great experiment in this in Europe, didn't they, from about 19, roughly 1945 to, what, 1989, where they took a really modern industrial country called Germany and split it in two. And they ran one on this top-down command economy lines and the other they just let go as a free market. Now, at the end, what was the result? On one side, the BMW... Yes, exactly. Your 5 Series, your 3 Series, your M3 Coupes and uh, all of your Mercedes. The Mercedes CLK, of which I'm now a proud owner. Yes, yeah. yeah. On the other side, the Trabant. Fiberglass, (laughs) two cylinders, I think. And the body was made of wood pulp, I understand. (laughs) Something like that. And it was a two-stroke. It was a two-stroke, so it literally burned oil. Yeah. These things were just... It must have made India's classic car, the Tata, look good. (laughs) Oh, it made it look... Look, the Tata was a roller next to this device. Just to to double-check, we're about to repeat that experiment in this country, I think, and we'll all be driving Nissan Leafs by the end of the decade. Will they get away with it? The thing that I can't get away from, and no one seems to talk about much, although everyone knows it, the elephant in the room, is refuelling time. Ordinary Australians who've got normal lives are not going to spend hours refuelling their vehicle. They do it currently in about two and a half minutes. Mm. They're not going to to take to vehicles that at the shortest take half an hour. And if you plug it into a two-phase thing, take 65 hours. And if you pay a lot of money to get the three-phase power, you can do it in just six hours. The problem with that, of course, is if everyone in the street does it with three-phase power overnight at the same time, the entire street gets blacked out because the system can't cope with that. Refueling is the elephant in the room, and they Absolutely no one ever cost. talks about it. Oh, we've got to have these electric cars, yeah. but they won't actually go. This is the thing, Cal. Like, at the moment, a sizable number, maybe, I'm actually, I'd say probably the majority of electric car owners are older or retired. Now, these people have money. So they're wealthy enough to pay for things like Teslas. And they also have time. They're not in any particular rush. If they show up, oh God, we're down to a quarter of our capacity. They can sit there for 40 minutes and boost it up to about 80%, whatever it takes, maybe an hour, an hour, 20. It's only allowed to be 80%. Anything over 80%, there's the risk it will burst into flames. So you're not allowed to charge it more than 80%. Starts chomping into battery life and so on. So they're older, they've got plenty of time on their hands, they're in no particular rush. And every trip is a bit of a grey nomad voyage, so that's all fine. But when you start adding dozens and then multiples of dozens, hundreds and then thousands of electric cars to the market, there's footage online of, it was a a holiday weekend in the US, it might have been Thanksgiving, and 50, 60 EVs all in a line for a recharging station, which incidentally had 100 recharge points in it. But 
these guys are waiting hours and hours for other people to charge. <laughs> yes. And then you're rocking up? Yeah. This is going to be pretty... This this is, the recharge rage is real. A mate of mine said he knows somebody who's got a, a franchise for a Kentucky Fried Chicken on the Hume Highway and they're just about to install two electric Bowser's. Yeah. He asked him, well, why don't you get to install more? He said, you're crazy. I want to sell some Kentucky Fried Chicken. Lots of it. <laughs> you describe the, the owners of EVs, Tim, but there's one other characteristic. They're all MPs. They're all moral posturers. Very good call. If I can tell you another grandson story, our older grandson, the one who's in high school, we took him up to Echo Point, the Blue Mountains, because he's from Melbourne. And we were trying to find somewhere to park in a very packed car park, and there was one space, so we zipped the car in there, and it happened to be the one space in that entire building that had an electric charging point. Someone Mm -hmm. came up in their EV, and they said, you'll have to get out of there. And we said, why? He said, I have to charge my car. And I said, well... You know, we got here first. We got the spot. Mm. Well, if you stay there, I'll run the cord from my car and I will block you in and I will be here for the next few hours. There <laughs> you go. But, well, he's morally superior to us, so he's allowed to do that. So we said, OK, we'll move the car. I don't know why you've got that thing. I said, he said, I'm saving the planet. <laughs> and I said, you're, you're doing it by running a car on coal. You understand that, <laughs> don't you? Well, stand by for these conversations to be more widespread, Kel, as uh, these vehicles become more... Well, popular is the wrong word. When it's an enforced situation. Also, Nick, you're talking about... It's one of the great social experiences of all time. When Germany was split and we got to see two different economic models Mm. parallel. Mm. Mm. Same population base, same cultural backgrounds, different economic things. So it's a like-with-like comparison. Mm. The problem with Australia going down that path is in the German experiment, they had a control Germany. Yeah. We don't. It's not, they're no not control. splitting Australia. It would be universal, mm. which is a very, very different experimental model. It's not experimental, actually, is it? It's just transformational and but, but, not in a good way. A bit like the way that they ran the vaccine. We really don't know what happens to if you don't get vaccinated because everybody had to get vaccinated. Would they ever get away with an East German model in Australia, honestly? We'll find out, Kel. If they start saying to the carpenter from Penrith, mate, you're gonna, your next car is going to be an EV, and he says, up yours, mm. I, maybe I'm wrong, maybe people will give in to it, but I just can't see that ever actually functioning in Australia. Another fashion which is developing in Europe, which I hope, doesn't come here is the idea of vegetarian burgers the vegans have gone berserk in austria again not for the first time i must to say last time it didn't end too well i seem to remember mm-hmm. the Aust- austrian burger king is now making plant-based meat i.e vegetarian chow as the normal version burger if you want a meat burger you've got to ask for meat so again it's a it's case of nudging you towards one option which is they say it's plant-based but i bet it's got insects in most of them have these days don't they so you're going to be chomping away on uh, hemp and insects hemp and critics in your burger instead of a nice piece of beef if you order a burger in austria unless you specify otherwise what it is about them tim i mean why are they so vegetarianism is it's it's not a sort of peaceful thing in austria is it's got a sort of nasty ring to it Yeah, they do have. There was a famous vegetarian from Austria. Yeah, I think we're going back to talking about 1939 again. Yeah, yeah. He didn't popularise it as much as he wanted to. I think there was like 
almost going to be, what's that German word for a long time? Reich. It's going to be a vegetarian <laughs> Reich that was going to last for a long time, damn it. Turned out to fall a few thousand years short. But yeah, like Austrians and vegetarians, I, yeah, it's not a healthy combination. Also, when they're doing this one option deal, this is the sort of thing that makes people consider up other options in terms of their, their restaurants. There actually are options. You can go somewhere yeah, else. Yeah, and, and this was the week in which there was a health article saying 33% of vegetarians, not even hardline vegans, just vegetarians, mm. uh, are suffering from a protein deficiency. And they all desperately need to take B12 vitamins and all the rest of it. Yes. Th- that information is not hidden. It's not unknown. There's a whole lot of people who are going to say, not only do I like slow-cooked lamb roast, but mm. I also want to keep my blood iron levels and B12 vitamin uh, levels up properly. So I can't see it happening. The most recent survey I show, I saw showed that there are more ex-vegetarians in Australia than vegetarians. So I think you can draw your own conclusions from that one. It's because yeah, they've been yeah. cannibalised for protein. <laughs> But this is a whole new woke campaign. Other woke news before we move on. Can I share a woke word? Am please, I not allowed please. to share a woke word? That's what you're here to do, explain words. Namecore. Have you guys come across Namecore? No. There's a, a British journalist, Richard Godwin, who drew this to my attention. It's the trendiest word at the moment, Namecore. It is the trend of giving a name to every trend. So you can't have anything without having its name. Now, it's been around for a while. We've named mods and rockers and hippies and beatniks and yuppies and all the rest of it but now it's Mm -hmm. relentless and every passing trend has got to have its own name and Richard Godwin the the journalist whose stuff I discovered on this said quote Namecore is a stupid made up word which describes the trend of giving stupid made up names to stupid made up trends and I thought that's really good that's a very woke word in that case that's beautifully elegant and do we have examples of this? Modern ones? I guess woke is one of them, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. Uh, the woke movement. Yeah. Oh, well, we uh, have uh, dead naming. Uh, de- dead naming is one. Goblin mode is another. I think clickbait is probably something that fits into that. Everything's got to have a name mm-hmm. these days, and it's all pointless. The, uh, the Great Australian Dog Survey. Have you seen it come across this? The 2022 Great Australian Dog Survey, according to the Courier Mail. Report- How do they fill it out? Well, reports that... <laughs> Yes, exactly. I think that could be why the figures look a bit astray here. So almost 40% of dog owners believe their furry friend is part of the LGBTQIA plus community, according to the survey. That's it. I'm done. I quit. I'm leaving. That's insanity. Okay. Four out of 10 dogs are gender fluid, I suppose, or gay or something. I don't know. Do we actually believe that? It just seems sort of strange to me. Have they been de-sexed, which would qualify? I mean, this is not a new practice. They could be the eye, couldn't they? The intersex, because the vet came in with his nasty little knife and fixed them up to make them eye. <laughs> they interview a chap here called Jared Churchwood and his fiance Maddie Childs, who own a beagle called Freddy. Asked whether Freddy could be part of the LBG, LBGBTQI plus family, Mr Churchwood said... We certainly have our suspicions. What tipped them off? All the Barbara Streisand records? What was the clue? He's very good with colours, apparently, ah. that dog. Very good with colours. <laughs> and wants to become a theatrical designer. Yes, I understand, yes. They were a bit, they were a bit startled when his, when his kennel received a visit from an interior designer. <laughs> 
the top 10 breeds that could well be members of the LGBTQIA plus plus hashtag community. Cavoodle, number one. Oh, I knew that. Didn't you know that? Yeah. Didn't you just know? <laughs> totally. Uh, I'm surprised at number two, though, the Rador Retriever, followed by the Greyhound, the Border Collie, the Golden Retriever, the Golden Doodle, even my gaydar would spot that one, the Labradoodle, the German Shepherd, the English Stafford Boyle Terrier. I mean, that's the least gay dog you could imagine, isn't it? No, they'd be the they'd be the bears of oh, the do- yeah. gay dog community. Yeah, they'd be the rough trade. Which letter in that alphabetical list of letters is covered by the little dog that humps your leg? No, no, no. L, the first one. Caboodle. <laughs> <laughs> the last. There's <laughs> one more dog to go. The French. Okay. The French bulldog. Obviously, Duh. obviously, yeah, yeah. 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 Cocker spaniel make that list. Sorry, I wasn't paying attention. But if when so many of those dogs are are wanting to hump someone's leg, they, that's obviously where their interest lies. So all of this is nonsense. And you know the difference, don't you, they- between when a miniature poodle tries to hump your leg and when a pit bull does? You let the put- pit bull finish, <laughs> yes. and also <laughs> you lose the leg. Do we have cocker spaniels on that list? Nick? Not there, strangely enough. Now, this is going to very much upset a former Prime Minister. You remember one of Paul Keating's famous lines in the very early days of talking about legalising gay marriage. I do, yeah. Back in the dark ages, Keating is, uh, is said to have commented, two blokes and a cocker spaniel don't make a family. That's right, yes. Yeah. Yes. Say that now and it's straight to prison. There you go. Uh, he's cancelled. He's cancelled. Kel, we should invite you to bring your lexicographical skills, is that the right word, to the fore by explaining your latest exploration into the world of words. I think you're interested in the term social justice. You think it might be problematic. I've now come to the conclusion social justice is an oxymoron. Not an idiot from Oxford, but there are plenty of those, but a contradiction in terms, because justice and social mean two different things. When they're talking about, so it's actually been around since 1824, and Oxford says originally it meant a distributed sort of justice, where the sort of thing where you tax everyone like crazy and then you give the money to bureaucrats and public servants to run a nanny state that infantilises everyone else. That's what they mean. But mm. it's an aim at a social kind of equality. The one thing, justice, is unequal. The process is equal, but the outcome is never equal. You're charged with a crime. You're either innocent or guilty. You don't get equal outcomes. The prosecution wins, the defence loses, and vice versa. If Smith sues Jones over a broken contract or defamation or whatever, one of them wins, one of them loses. Justice never produces an equal outcome. So if social justice is about producing equal outcomes, the one thing it can never be is justice. Justice never gives you equal outcomes. That's the good thing about it. Just equal opportunities and outcomes based on evidence. Social justice is a contradiction in terms. It's absolute rubbish. We should be talking, talking perhaps about anti-social justice or unsocial well, justice. Well, Merriam-Webster just said that social justice is the doctrine of egalitarianism, which reminded me of Tom Lehrer's famous definition of egalitarianism, which is treating everyone the same, not only on the basis of race, colour and creed, but also ability. That's right. Now, Carl, one or two words. Is there any word or phrase involving the word social that is a good thing? 
We've got your socialism, socialite, school socials. They were terrible. <laughs> Social media, probably the worst of them all. Oh, probably yes, haven't yeah. killed as many people as socialism, mm. but, you know, it's, it's mm. done. It's mm. taken a few down. Is there any good word involving social? Except for antisocial, which I've been accused of all my life. <laughs> yes, and we're getting better at it as we go on. Probably not. I ended my piece of social justice by saying that it's now so confused and muddled that it should be banned from political discourse, and that mm-hmm. ban should probably be extended to a whole lot of expressions incorporating the word social. So, yes, why not? I... You've covered You've covered it already. Absolutely. Yep. Well done. My favourite is social licence. Social licence, I think, correct me, I think the definition of social licence is anything which Greenpeace, the Wilderness Society and Get Up say is okay. <laughs> yes. That, yes. That has social licence. Anything they oppose doesn't have social licence. I'll believe that when I walk into a company and framed on the wall in wonderful script is their social licence. Until the piece of paper is there, I ain't going to believe it. It can be revoked, Kel. Imagine <laughs> China. China does that, don't they? You get social credit points. Social credit, yeah. Oh, that's right. Yes. Yeah. Well, Another bad thing. Mm. See, everything was social in it. I've been saying it for years. Everything's bad. As somebody with a sociology degree, I'm sure I should be defending this. Again, sociology. How do I forget that one? I should be defending this, but I'm bugging if I know how. <laughs> Tim, you were saying. <laughs> well, speaking of banning things. CNN has been in a lot of trouble. This is the massive US network, global resources, a huge enterprise, and it went big with Donald Trump. Its ratings were going huge because it was just nothing but Trump. Trump, Trump, Trump. Then Trump went away. But before that happened, well, he didn't go away, obviously. He lost an election. Before that, though, in 2018... CNN presenter Brian Stelter spoke at a public gathering with a veteran newsman called Ted Koppel. Ted Koppel's of the older generation of American media. He's actually got a sense of humour, he's got a sense of perspective, and he's not insane. Let's hear what he had to say four years ago in a chat with Brian Stelter, among a couple of other panellists. Money. 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 Donald Trump has been very, very good for baseball. He has been wonderful for the industry. Your boss acknowledged as much a number of number of months ago during the campaign. Les Donald Trump, was, huh? It was Les Moonves who acknowledged Les Moonves it. Les Moonves also acknowledged <laughs> it, but so did the head of CNN. But that means what? That, that if ratings mean, are up, that means what? That, oh, the ratings are up. It means you can't do without Donald Trump. You would be lost without Donald Trump. That is what he says. Ted, you know that's not true. CNN's ratings would be in the toilet without Donald Trump. You know that's not true. You're you're playing for laughs. You've lived through enough presidencies to know there will be more presidents. What were the ratings before Trump and what are the ratings now? I would say uh, we might be up 20, we might be up 30%, we might be up 40%. If we go back down 40%, that's okay too. Uh, well, it may not be okay. Of course it is. <laughs> no, but hold on. I, I reject the premise that these networks are making so much money off of Trump and thus we, we benefit from oh, it. I, tell me for a moment, if you will, let's get away from CNN then, all right? Sensitive subject. No. Let's go to MSNBC. Is there a moment of the day <laughs> when they are not focusing Hello, on Donald Trump 
or some intimately related subject. <laughs> no answer to that, is there? And uh, look, it, no. it continued. You say that was four years ago, Tim. The, 2018. The soap opera continues this week, doesn't it? With the uh, Yeah, guess who just got fired at CNN because of low ratings in the post-Trump period? <laughs> Brian Stelter. <laughs> Ted Koppel warned him. Ted yep, Koppel yep. nailed it. Brian ignored it, and he continued to be nothing but Trump, 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 a lot of the time, and also bizarrely defending as much as he could Trump's successor. Now, he's been booted, and he's going out screaming, obviously, and, and a lot of people are having just too much fun on Twitter making fun of him, mainly because of his strong resemblance to a potato. He's just known, just shorthand is potato. But he's a man with healthy bones, let's say. And he, just for people who don't consume a lot of US media, just to give you a local comparison, he's kind of a $10 million version of Paul Barry. <laughs> he's a, he's, he does a lot of scolding of conservative commentators and outlets. He did an entire show once, just he got a transcripts of various Fox News programs and he went through them with a highlighter. And that was a show. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> so he was telling an audience that didn't watch Fox what was on Fox. And he used to do that a great deal of the time. Who will tell the people now what was on Fox? They'll probably just have to watch Fox themselves. Now, he's gone, but... They sorry, don't understand help? consequences, these people, do they, Tim? They don't understand what the consequences are. The lunatic FBI raid, what they wanted to do was to find a way to stop Trump running in 2024. Mm. What they've done yeah. is made it impossible for him not to run. They can't work out consequences. They've supercharged him, again. Yeah, they don't know what they're doing, and, but they do miss their sweet, sweet Trump candy. They've gone down a lot more than 40%, I think was uh, Stelter's number about what the decline might be. They're in a lot of trouble. And he's, of course, not the only star to have left or been invited to leave in recent months. They've lost two or three of their big blokes, and also the boss of the entire network. So in the meantime, Fox is cleaning up. They've got a nighttime host who airs at about 1pm Australian time, Greg Gutfeld, who on nowhere near the same budget as the free-to-air big names, the late show names, is winning against them, which is hilarious. He's the only one doing any sort of uh, jokes from the conservative side of politics. The rest of them are just doctrinaire Democrats and leftists of various, various tones. He wins. There's a lot of stuff to analyse there from a media point of view. Unfortunately, Brian Stelter, whose job it was to be a media analyst, ain't around anymore to do it. Not that he was doing it in the first place, which is why he's gone. Speaking of in trouble, Jacinta Ardern... She's at her lowest popularity rating since 2017. It's falling to 30%, making it the worst approval rating since she came into office. Labour's opposition, the National Party, now soaring ahead on 37%. People are blaming the wokewood drift of the country mm -hmm. for this, and yet the wokewood drift continues. I read this week that Whittaker's chocolate, which I thought was a pretty reasonable bit of chocolate when I was over mm -hmm. there, Whittaker's a New Zealand mm -hmm. brand of chocolate, a creamy chocolate is no longer creamy milk chocolate. It, you now, it's now called, you have to call it this, I suppose you have to ask for this in the shop because it's there on the mm. label. It's now known as Miraka Kirimi. Kirimi, oh, K-I-R-I-M-E. Oh, yes, yep. It's gone Maori. It, yeah, I, I read government documents or some newspaper reports now and you mm. need a dictionary. It is just incredible the way the language is. So, they're making up words. Obviously there was no traditional Maori word for an aircraft, so they've had to put together some Maori syllables to invent a word yeah. to say it's an aeroplane. The whole thing is nonsense. But when you've got a Prime Minister who wants to call, change the name of the country to Aotearoa, that's nuts. 
So how mm. anyone thinks they could possibly get away with that, I really don't want her to go away because she's a wonderful model of where Australia is going to end up if the woke warriors succeed. Mm. So it's a, it's a great warning sign. It's like having a big flashing red light across the Tasman oh. saying, you could end up here, folks, watch it. I think you may be being a bit harsh, Carol, accusing them of making up <laughs> Maori words. I mean, look, take, for instance, Miraka Krimi. Kirimi, sorry. It's purely just coincidence, isn't it, that in English we develop the word creamy and the other side of the world the Maoris have come up with kirimi. We must have taken it from them. <laughs> I think so. Of course we did. Yeah. Oldest culture in the world, they must have invented it. Yes. And chocolate's tasty. Too. Sorry, Kel, yeah, chocolate's very tasty, so maybe that's why we call, what is, what's their word for it, miracle? Miraka. Miraka, you should know that. That's oh. a nice word for chocolate. Yeah, that's close enough. That's obviously the root word there, the yeah. etymologist Cal will explain. I think they're trying to avoid admitting that it contains dairy milk because I discovered this week that dairy milk is a white supremacist symbol. Cow's milk, because it's white, is a white supremacist symbol. Uh, now according to the people for the ethical treatment of animals, and so we, we have to stop drinking cow's milk because it's a white supremacist symbol and because mm. it's the product of rape. All those cows are raped every time they're put into the bales and artificially inseminated. Of course, it's rape. Maybe in New Zealand. If you're drinking milk, you're supporting rape and you're supporting white supremacism. So it's obvious. It's the... I'm on the side of the cows. I'm, on, I'm a supporter of the Moo Too movement. <laughs> <laughs> That's very good. I have got some good news to close, but you go ahead, Tim. Good, bad or indifferent. No, I was just saying the whole thing of retrospectively inventing words it's a little remember when elizabeth warren the former presidential candidate in the u.s pretended that she was indian native american mm. and bits and pieces of her evidence of her life as a fake indian began to come to light like she'd claimed i think a part scholarship at university based on being a native american even though she's the whitest person in all of white land and then it emerged she'd contributed a recipe to a Native American cookbook, which went by the beautiful name, Cole, you'll love this, Pow Wow Chow. Classy. I know, right? You know, take one scalp, salt it, and had all that sort of gear. But, um, yeah, it's retrospective sort of nonsense and recreating he... a racial divides where they shouldn't exist. And uh, no, wonder, no wonder Jacinda is, is sinking like a... What's the married word for stone? We need to get an appropriate... Yes, we do. ...appropriate descriptor. We'll get Oliver Hartwich on what? with the dictionary. Elizabeth Warren did agree to take a DNA test to discover <laughs> Big how little mistake. Cherokee there was there. We're still waiting for Bruce Pascoe to put his hand up for the DNA test, aren't we? Finally, I think if you're looking for a wowser-free, woke-free country in our region, Japan's yeah. shaping up to be just that kind of country. A story came in this week. Japanese officials are worried about a sharp decline in alcohol revenue. Mm. So their solution to this is a campaign to get young people to drink more alcohol. That's a pretty Great. good idea, isn't it? <laughs> the, the, yeah. So taxes have dropped because 29.4% of people in their 20s don't drink alcohol at all, while 26.1% said they rarely drink. Come on. They're going to have, what was it Peter Costello said? One, one for one yourself, for one for yourself and 10 for the country or something. I think that's probably <laughs> the new well, cry I around the bar. It might be a bit of a desperate strategy on behalf of Japan, but you'll recall that as part of the ritual before kamikaze pilots took to the air for their final voyages, they would each drink a ritual glass of sake. 
Now that, on one hand, that would increase alcohol consumption and ease the burden tax-wise. On the other, you don't get a lot of return customers. <laughs> it's, it's literally a one-shot deal, isn't it? I think they had a, yes. prob- they had a big problem with people taking sickies, I think. That was the trouble with the whole thing about suicide pilots. A lot of people would just ring in and say, oh, mate, I've got a bit of a headache. Yeah. I can't make it. Yeah. Also, like a lot of people didn't even make it through the training. They were hitting their KPIs <laughs> a bit early, you might say. But yeah. Yeah. I re- he went into the training, but he crashed and burned. Tick, he wins. But it's, I don't know if this is an urban myth or not. I'm told. There's a famous bit of rugby league commentary misspeaking in which whoever was calling the game said that a certain player had the never-say-die spirit of a kamikaze pilot, which, if it isn't true, should be true. It's got to be that, true. That's I'll make too it true. good to be true. That's too in my good world, to be true. In my world, it is true. Well, guys, I've got to shoot through. I've got a date with Rita Panahi. Lucky boy. Filling in for Peter Credland on her Sky News show. She did. I tried to get her on the show. She said she couldn't make it this week. She's filling in for, for Peter, but she'll come on next week. So that'll be great Fantastic. to have Rita back. Yeah. Kel, thank you for your presence once again and for Absolutely your chit-chat. Tough. And always a joy to have you on there. And, and Tim, again, as always, thank you. My pleasure too, mate. See you next week. See you. Bye. See you, mate. Every American and LBJ is with Australia all the way. Australia is the best place in the world to bring up a family. But we will decide who comes to this country and the circumstances in which they come. Australia. Yeah!